the world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Padar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz. Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Paydar, and we are live from AICPA Engage in the Exhibit Hall. It's very exciting. And uh, right now, we're talking to Jeff Max, and he's the Client Experience Officer at First Global. Thank you for being here, Jeff. My pleasure. And uh, so, so talk to us about the, the main options uh, for generating revenue for firms. Sure. So in, in the wealth management space, there are really three primary ways to generate revenue. Um, the first one is one we sort of discussed before, which is where the industry began with more of a transactional or commission-based approach. Um, a transaction is placed. There's a certain commission, maybe 3 4 or 5%. Uh, that's it. It's done. There may be a small lingering trailing commission that comes in every year as the uh, business is retained. Uh, the second one is, is it's commonly referred to as advisory or wrap. And that's where um, a financial advisor would invest a client's money uh, for a negotiated fixed fee, uh, say 1% a year, 1% of the assets under management. One of the benefits there to the client is as the financial advisor and the markets work better for the client, uh, the financial advisor is more rewarded. But if the financial advisor and the markets aren't work, working well for the client, the fee would, would go down because it's based on a percentage of the uh, assets under, under management. <clears throat> And the third primary way that a financial advisor can be compensated for their time is through a, a straight um, financial planning fee arrangement or a retainer, uh, much like an attorney would, would do or probably CPAs do. They, they charge a fee uh, to be on staff for that client uh, f- for the year. So the fee would depend on typically the, the size of the, the case at hand and the complexity of the case at hand. It would be negotiated again between the client um, in exchange for particular deliverables and a service model that were agreed upon in that negotiation. How do you, so how do you decide which which model is the best for you? Sure. Um, well, um, are you asking that from the perspective of an, of an investor or from a provider? From a provider. So a provider, uh, I think, just like any other business owner, needs to understand what what am I what what am I best showing up to do every day for my clients? Mm-hmm. Am I here to be a resource for them? Is my skill set very broad? So am I, if I'm a CFP, um, I've got a broad uh, base of training and ongoing education that allows me to help clients from six or seven or eight different professional angles. Um, they should probably uh, consider putting in a business model that allows them to use those skills in return for fair compensation for doing that, because that's how they can best help their client. That is what they've been trained to do. That is where their passion is. Uh, if they're more of a, of a transactional person or more of a, more, they see themselves more of a salesperson or just a, um, an issue solver, uh, they could consider either a transactional base or a combination of, of one or the other. So I understand you have some statistics for us that you want to share. Uh, sure. Um, well, one of the thing is, uh, you know, I personally, as I mentioned in the, in the first segment, I think about um, how I set up my practice. And my practice was essentially set up where um, I wasn't necessarily interested in taking on a client who was uninterested in paying a, going through the financial planning mm-hmm. experience. I wanted to open the relationship and maintain the relationship by using 
powerful financial planning tools, like maybe some of the ones we'll discuss later, um, so that I could get a broad x-ray of uh, where the clients were today against where they were telling me they wanted to go. So um, it would be very rare for me to, to accept a client relationship where they were unwilling to engage uh, in financial planning. And for that service, there is, of course, a, a, an appropriate fee. Um, so I think that's a, a good place to start. Um, also, you know, if you think about today, the one of the hot topics is uh, what I call advisory versus advice. So if I'm going to set my practice up in two ways, I could set it up with an advisory relationship where I, I charge my clients one or one and a half percent of all of the assets that I manage and I give them advice. And my compensation is solely based on that asset under management piece. Um, another way to go that we see in the industry today, especially in the RIA space, is just flat fee-based planning. Right. I'm going to give you advice, and I'm not here to implement it with you. So I'm going to do a comprehensive analysis, and I'm going to send you out into the world and help, hope you find somebody to help you implement it, uh, which can be dangerous. Um, there's certainly no conflict, potential conflict of interest whatsoever there, but it can be dangerous because not everybody out there knows how to fully implement uh, a comprehensive financial plan on their own. So there could be some good and, and some damage. Do you end up sort of <clears throat> cleaning up a lot of mess after you, that happens? You can. Yeah, yeah. you can. They, and, but they may come back to that fee-only advisor somewhat disenfranchised because you told me what to go out and do. Right. I did it and I got hurt. Um, so just my, my particular personal opinion, um, I would set up, I did set up and I would go back and set up my practice again where I'd have everybody enter through a, an ongoing retainer fee for my advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where that advice leads us from a product selection standpoint is irrelevant. We're going to go to the best place. That may be transaction, that may be advisory, maybe a little both uh, because you can't solve all financial um, challenges with either transaction or advisory. There's a combination in our, in our selection of products out there today that's wonderful and there's some of each. And where are consumers leading towards? <laughs> What well, model? I think consumers are um, increasingly becoming aware of fees as they should. It should be tra- transparent. Um, in my opinion, at least in, in the scope of the advisors that I see, they're, uh, they're, they're moving vastly away from transactional um, and into advisory. And for advisors who've adopted a, a fee-based planning um, relationship, they, um, they are adopting that as well. I, I know in my, in my past, I've seen um, advisors who set up a, a one-time planning fee with transactional, you know, three or four years later, get into it and go back to their clients and say, hey, I'm going to offer two or three different levels of service. Here's how that menu lays out. We can do an annual retainer with four meetings a year, and this is what we'll cover. We can do a plan as needed every three or four years, uh, or we can just do the transactional. Moreover, people gravitate to the and wonder why they hadn't all along been doing the, the annual retainer with the structured meetings and, and ongoing planning. Right. I think people like that because, too, I think it forces contact. So I think sometimes, like, you know, you think you want to talk to your financial planner, but you don't necessarily remember to. Yeah. And and there's a lot of technical aspects to financial planning, but really when it gets down to it, what makes financial planning work with a client and an advisor is the behavioral financial uh, content of it. And um, behavioral financial advice has been written about since the late 70s or early 80s, but now you really see it being adopted in practice uh, where advisors are actually changing their service models. There's even designations. There's a BFA designation that you can go out now and get um, uh, certified to offer this level of service, which I find fascinating. Um, hmm. There was a study by Vanguard done in, I think it was 2014, 2016, excuse me, um, that, that determined the value of a financial advisor is worth about 2.95% net of fees above and beyond the transactional relationship. So if you have an advisor who's doing the comprehensive planning using behavioral financial advice, the results for the client year over year will be nearly 3% better um, than someone who was just simply investing the money in a transactional basis. And they break it down. Where does that come from? Um, 
essentially they have a, a you know, if, you're, if the advisor takes them into an advisory environment that has a rebalancing feature and some tax, that's uh, 0.45% and 0.35% respectively. Um, the biggest, and there's a couple other stats I won't bore you with, but the biggest one overall was, uh, which you guys can, as, as CPAs, can really leverage, is the tax, the asset allocation, which doesn't necessarily mean diversification, it's the tax placement of it. How, if there's three ways I can invest money for a client, tax now, tax later, tax never again, what's the right balance around those three buckets to put the money in? That's worth a lot. And the behavioral financial advice, which is, do I take the time to understand how my clients think about money, what their values are, their personal values, so that when it comes time for them to make a decision that would cause them to be in that other camp that earns 3% less, I understand where that's coming from because I understand their values and I can ask them questions that focus them back on their values and get them out of the emotional state that they're in. So a simple example, election's coming up. I don't necessarily like who's going to be elected or I'm unsure. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to move to cash and wait. That's very, very common. We see that all the time. Rather than telling clients, that's not a good idea, you should stay in, you can have a discussion about, I know that these things are important to you from a principle standpoint and value standpoint. You can actually write them out. And I know that these are your goals over here. So far as we sit today, we're really connected with our strategy. But if we get out, are we still connected to the strategy? Hmm. Right. And how have, CPA, and how have CPAs like kind of adopted to this methodology of behavioral financial stuff? Are they liking it more than like the old way of doing it? Or they're just kind of learning about That's it? That's just kind of learning about it. Uh, yeah. We at First Global, we've, we've done a couple at our national conference. We've had um, some of the industry thought leaders on BFA come in, do presentations. It's always very engaging. It's a, it's a fascinating concept. I mean, I've gone through the, the designation myself and it's really nice to read about. But truth be told, and this is another advantage you'll have, Jody, truth be told, if you've got a practice and a service model already set up, it's work to change how you Right. I mean, if you've been meeting with clients for five or 10 or 15 years and never sat down and talked about their values and had them go through an exercise, that's a new, that's a new experience that it's changed. And so it's going to feel a little weird. But if you're starting from scratch, it's something that you consider incorporating in uh, right away. I think that's interesting because I would assume that that would be part of the conversation starting out with a financial advisor, but it's not to well, talk about your values. Goals are. Go- I mean, what you're taught you know, goals, dreams, yeah. and, how, and at best, how have you made the decisions you've made so far? But to literally yeah. give them... You know, some sort of a, a exercise, a deck of cards, or, and have them go through, a, a, lead them through a, a formal values-based discussion um, and get to it for real. And if there's two people in this, in this partnership, have the other person do the same and understand where there's overlap and where there's disconnect, that's where it really begins to, to take So it's a much shape. deeper exercise. It's much deeper, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it makes for a deeper relationship yeah. with the advisor because, like, now, you know, I always say you're in their financial underwear drawer, but you really are. Yeah. So it's <laughs> you like are. you're really close to them, and that's going to make them even more sticky yep. because it's not just the fee, it's that relationship. And anything that you can build on with a relationship is going to make for a better relationship. Yeah. You know, make a better right. long-term relationship. And I think CPAs naturally do it, but I don't think they always realize that they're doing it. Perhaps. You know? Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, aren't people making more buying decisions related to values these days too, would well, you say? I, I, I don't know at, at large if they're doing that yeah. in general in the economy. Um, I think people buy things on emotion and yeah. they pay for them with logic. Yeah. Right? So they, they buy what they want and they pay stuff with logic and so that's another thing that we have that's part of bfa and we have to understand when we're giving advice why people may not want to buy an insurance policy because they don't like insurance um, right nobody likes insurance till you need insurance and then you love insurance <laughs> so it's emotion and logic at, at battle there right so um if you were um to give a consumer a way of advice what should they be looking for in a financial planner 
um, from those ways of um, purchasing yeah. services? I, I think they should look, look for choice. Um, okay. I think they should look for someone who's well-designated with this. You know, I love the combination of the CFP and the CPA. There's no stronger combination than that in the business because you are legally allowed to give tax advice. Tax planning is such a huge part of the net result of financial planning. It can't be overstated. Uh, when I was a, you know, an advisor um, at, my, at my former firm, um, every time I told someone that you must do these, here are my recommendations, but before you implement, go see your tax advisor. I had to say that because I wasn't a tax advisor and every one of those had a tax ramification to them. Mm. And so I think CPAs are are really well positioned to be able to do that and not send them down the street for other advice. Um, So um, I just want to say thank you again for joining us because it's been a wonderful interview and I'm already learning so much. How about you, Liz? (laughs) I know. And I have, but I have to admit, I'm not a CPA. I'm a marketer. (laughs) Joni's a CPA. (laughs) Another big part of financial planning practice is marketing. Yes, I know. We're going to be talking about that later. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us as well. The First Global. I look forward to working with you. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So um, with that, we'll take a quick break. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. First Global was founded by CPAs who believe that accounting and tax professionals are uniquely qualified to add value to their existing client relationships by offering comprehensive wealth management services. First Global believes the time is now for one of America's most trusted professions to rise up and show the world the power of true CPA financial planning. When you partner with First Global, you can be more to your clients. Play large by unleashing the power of wealth management and let go of the idea that someone else knows what best for your clients. Visit First Global at 1stglobal.com. CCH Access from Walters Kluwer has the power to grow, manage, and protect firms in motion through its integrated modules. These include tax preparation, centralized document management, improving client services, streamlining accounting, and managing your projects and deliverables. Accelerate growth, enhance management, and protect your organization's reputation. Visit cchgroup.com to find out more or register for a demo so we can show you what we do. That's cchgroup.com. Engage your learning, engage your network, engage your future. The AICPA Engage 2017 event happens over four days, Monday, June 12th through Thursday, June 15th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. There are six conferences at the event, and you can attend one session, any session, or all sessions. Plus, if you can't make the trip, you can still take advantage of attending the event online. If you're in the accounting profession, this is a can't-miss event. Visit AICPAengage.com to find out more. That's AICPAengage.com.